Ontology, the Waystation of Red-Pilled Sanity Written by William Leo Translated by Deep L and a Human Read for you by Ginny, Arya and Guy All Bots The Reshaping of the World Order After the First World War Part 2 let us go back to the destruction of the international system. Most of the international disputes in the short-lived 20th century were caused by the USSR or by various efforts opposing it. First, we witnessed the revolutionary diplomacy of Leon Trotsky. Revolutionary diplomacy was the essence of the Soviet Union determined by the very nature of the Soviet Union. Therefore, it was not a matter of techniques. As long as the Soviet Union itself existed, the revolutionary nature of its diplomacy couldn't be altered. Because it was unable to safeguard its own interests through normal legitimate diplomatic channels, as its interest was to overthrow the entire old world, the Soviets evoked a civil war within the Russian Empire. And the very process of its establishment was achieved through large-scale international warfare against the entire capitalist world, defying international norms, combining open warfare and underground sabotage. Therefore, as soon as Soviet Russia was born, it immediately caused disputes within Russia. Russia was originally a huge empire of plural entities. Areas like Finland were sovereign grand duchies, a status that could be maintained under the condition of the czarist co-ownership and also under the temporary government of the Russian Republic. However, after the Soviet Union became a Bolshevik country, Finland and the Baltic countries were the first to demand independence, which immediately caused a war between the Bolsheviks and these territories. It is difficult to determine whether this kind of war was a civil war, a foreign war, or a class struggle. They were what we now call unrestricted warfare. The veil of civilization in the 19th century was completely torn apart. What we now describe as the worst nightmare beheading the whole family after democratization was the fully lived reality. The main combatants were no longer a regular and disciplined army, but various armed groups, such as the Red Guards, Chaikas, or White Guards. As far as Finland was concerned, the so-called White Guards were actually veterans who participated in World War I or militias and security groups composed of more bourgeois communities. The Red Guards were deserters of the old Tsarist army instigated by the Bolsheviks to request withdrawal from war. Both sides practiced unrestricted warfare. In the case of Finland and the Baltic Sea, when Russia's superior manpower was about to come into play, the German army was involved in this civil war. Due to the participation of very few German officers with extremely high combating tactics, the situation of the war became favorable to the three Baltic countries including Finland and Estonia. In the end, Lenin had to concede to the independence of countries such as Finland and Estonia. In Ukraine, a more complicated four-party war broke out. Denikin and Wrangel's White Guards used Crimea as their base to fight against the Red Army going south for Ukraine's grain-producing area. They fought a dangerous four-party war with Ukrainian nationalists, the Hetmanate, and Republicans, supporters of the Ukrainian People's Republic. Then when the Ukrainians were about to fail, Pilsudski's Poles rolled in from the west and demanded the restoration of Poland's historical borders, 
turning the four-party war into a five-party war. The final result was that the Soviet Union and Poland signed the Riga Peace Treaty to divide Ukraine, which ceded western Ukraine to Greater Poland and eastern Ukraine to the Soviet Union. In the south, Caucasus, Georgia, Armenia and Azerbaijan established their own independent regimes with the support of Mensheviks and local nationalists and invited British troops to come in to assist them. But the Allied forces withdrew after the war. With the retreat of the Allied forces, the Soviet army re-entered the Caucasus under the command of Stepan Shamian and finally stabilized the Caucasus through the intervention of Shamian and Sergo Orjanikidze. In Central Asia, the Pan-Turkic nationalists backed by Enver Pasha in Turkey and the Khanate of Kokan supported by the Soviet Union launched a brutal civil war which significantly reduced the population of Central Asia. In the end, the Soviet army killed Enver Pasha, eliminated the remnants of the White Army in Central Asia, and annexed entire Central Asia, thus establishing the Autonomous Republic of Turkestan. In Eastern Europe, with the defeat of Germany, the Allied forces were unable to maintain order, so it relied on the smaller Allied powers consisted of the Czechs and Poles to maintain the order of a large vacuum left by the defeated Austria and Hungary. The Czechs acted largely as the agent for the French, temporarily maintaining order on the borders of Hungary, Poland, and Romania until the Treaty of Versailles decided to resolve the territorial ownership issue through a referendum. The referendum was conducted very chaotically. The great powers accepted the basic principles of Wilsonian idealism and demanded the self-determination of local residents. The reality on the ground was actually a bit like the Yugoslav War in 1991. Self-determination of residents was accomplished by expelling local residents and implementing ethnic cleansing. Along the border between Poland and the Czech Republic where the observers of the Allied powers were able to do their job, the referendum was conducted in a more civilized manner to draw the borders created by the First World War. But this border was imperfect. A large population of Germans was left within the Polish border, and a lot of Polish people were left on the other side of the German border, because the two sides originally lived in a mixed manner. More significantly, this division subverted the local class structure, because the Germans and Poles were not only two ethnic groups, but also representatives of two distinct strata of the local class structure. The Germans were often nobles and landlords, while Poles mostly laborers. Thus, the division of national borders aggravated internal disputes in the local communities, thus planting the seeds for future armed conflicts. In the south, along the borders of Romania, Hungary, and Slovakia, as well as the newly formed First Kingdom of Yugoslavia, the border redrawing was carried out in a very brutal and forcibly hijacked manner. In many cases, the newly established Balkan countries had to brutally cleanse and suppress the large number of ethnic minorities left behind in their own countries to maintain their borders. The precariousness of these borders and the instability within these countries were obvious. Wilsonianism couldn't solve such a problem because it didn't make clear how to deal with the issue of large populations of ethnic minorities remaining in this way. In fact, the final solution was that Hitler and Stalin used even more ruthless ethnic cleansing to basically drive out or massacre all ethnic minorities within each country, so that stable regimes could be established in Eastern Europe. 
However, in order to maintain a relatively high level of civilization, the Allied powers couldn't have taken such barbarous approaches. As a result, a series of extremely unstable states and extremely insecure borders were the relics. Therefore, taking into consideration this reality, Britain later decided to adopt a non-guarantee policy regarding the borders of Eastern European countries. Such a guarantee would not only be wrong no matter which side one supported, but also very difficult to be sustained. Later, some called this the appeasement policy, while in reality it was the expression of a very high level of political virtuosity. This kind of guarantee was unwarranted. Imagine if you now try to guarantee certain factions in Afghanistan or Iraq. No one knows what will happen in these places in the future. The honor and esteem of the great British Empire couldn't be staked on such risky and unreliable speculation. Thank you for listening. This is a podcast series produced by Luminous Society. Luminous Society provides you with an alternative historical narrative 